Thank you, Brian. That's very nice. <laughs> it's so funny because I just heard that Cortland State, where I used to play football, they're, they're like having this incredible year. And they're just amazing. But when I played back in 77 through 81, um, I think my senior year we were one and nine. And uh, I, re I remember we were, I mean, it was Division three, you know, my freshman year. <laughs> That's funny you found that all that on the internet. By freshman year, we had 150 guys rec recruited or come out for the freshman team. By the fourth year, my senior year, of those 150, there were three left. There were three left. I remember, I, I, first of all, I'm, we're going to go very candid today, and i talked to you a little bit about being candid, but I remember my sophomore year we played a team called East Stroudsburg East Stroud and they were we were division three they were division two but a high level division two they had some guys recruited for the NFL At, by the end of the half it was 54 to zero East Stroudsburg and their first team came out in their dress they had all this they had all the second and third team in uniform and their first team was just in their regular in regular dress so that was my football career. So it sounded really good. So thank you, Brian, but it was, it was not quite as exciting as that. So I guess today, and, one of the, and, and Matt, who, who uh, um, helped me understand a little bit more about what he wanted uh, me to do today, he said, one thing, Nick, I don't want you to be is, is I don't want this to be a, a marketing session for Hoving Home, because I think a lot of times what happens is when people hear that I'm now a professional development officer or fundraiser, it goes right into this idea that I'm going to speak eloquently about whatever it is that, that I raise money for. I don't want that to be the case today. But what I really was thinking is I really would like to share my story and uh, how I believe God has worked through my life. And there's a lot of guys here that are very different from me, and I think there's a lot of fellas that might be similar to me here today. And my life is not one where I had a very organized and straight vision of my life. As a matter of fact, you know, in the world it might seem serendipitous how I went from one thing to another, but God has this providential plan that he has for each one of us. And I, I wanted to share that with you today. Um, and the crazy thing is, is about, I think, in my life, and maybe yours as well, most of my spiritual growth had come through those really difficult times. Had come through those really difficult times. But then I also wanted to, I wanted to wrap up, but I did want to just tell you a little bit about where I am now as far as my vocation. But I also want, as I go through the, my testimony, I also wanted to wrap up with us having this question in mind, have we possibly missed God speaking to us in the ordinary things of life, in day to day? Have, is, there, is there a way that we could be more sensitive to what, where God is leading us and God is calling us and how God is acting, asking us or, or nudging us to be part of his church? And, and one of the things that's interesting, I, this idea of church, I never really understood it. And when I became, well, let me, let me get into, let me get into my, my testimony, and I'll, I'll get into that, I guess. 
So I grew up in the Catskill Mountains. Anybody familiar with a town called Kerhonkson, New York? I grew up in a town called Kerhonkson, New York, which is actually kind of like in the foothills of the Catskills. I used to call it, many years ago, there used to be all of these big hotels that ran up Route 17. And they used to get all of these people like uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin and all these people, they used to go there. And these little towns that were these feeder towns where all of the hospitality industry lived. And Kerhonkson, New York was one of them. And back in 1973, my father, who lived in a town in north, uh, northern uh, Westchester, we lived in northern Westchester, New York, he was convinced in 1973 casino gambling was coming to the Catskills. And my dad loved to play poker. He was just convinced of it. He was a chef, a good one, a self-trained chef. So he, so, without my mother's input, he sold everything they had. And he said, we're moving to the Catskills. And I'm buying a restaurant. And we're living up in the Catskills in Kerhonkson, New York. And so, I was a kid in middle school, we moved up there, I, and I remember that we had nights there. Oh, by the way, in 73, he was convinced casino gambling was coming to the Catskills. It arrived in the Catskills in 2018. He was right. <laughs> he died in 1981. <laughs> I mean, it's funny now, right? But it's like you, you go through it. It's tragic, you know? It's like, and so the crazy thing is, is that they sold, they sold their, life, their life's existence and everything that they had worked for in northern Westchester, New York, moved to the Catskills, basically had lost everything, but they gained a son. Because if it wasn't for that move, I probably would have been introduced more and more to drug use and into this very wayward way because I just felt so alone as a kid. But we moved up to this place. I found a great group of friends. I began to play football and my life changed. And then I began to work with my parents and I saw how hard they worked as a couple and how difficult it was to be married through these very challenging times. And, and how they just made it work. And so I had to tell my mother years after, um, Mom, you might have lost everything, but you gained a son. And so I think that's one example of how God works in a life. And you don't even know it at the time through all of those challenges. So I went to SUNY Cortland, and I was in a fraternity and uh, graduated. I was I, thank God I graduated. I think I got a D in anthropology in my senior year, and I was just so grateful for that, and I got out of there. And um, we had the opportunity. My wife, I was engaged to be married at 22. We had this opportunity to actually own a family business in Bedford Hills, New York. And I actually learned how to become an artisan butcher at the feet of my uncle my uncle Claude. And I, I have to tell you, gang, if, if, I could do, if I could make a living doing that again, I would do that. I love that job. I don't, has anybody here ever been to a butcher shop? 
You, wow, that's pretty cool. I, didn't, I would never think that. So this one, in a butcher shop, it was like one of these places where like little old Italian ladies would come in and, they, and they'd go, well, I'd like a pot roast today. And you'd take a piece of meat out and you'd show it, yeah, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, whatever. And you'd cut it and tie it and she'd be, that's so nice, you know, and then she'd wrap it up in paper and send it off to her. And I'll tell you what, I learned a lot in that business. I learned a lot, actually, about fundraising being a butcher. That's crazy, right? And my Uncle Claude used to have this saying, you know, he, used, he had all, he's one of these old timers, he had this one saying, and he said, Nick, you know, a lot of times people think, you know, we're slicing the bologna on this side of the counter, but I want you to know something. If you listen to people on the other side of the counter, that's where most of the bologna is sliced. <laughs> you know? And so <clears throat> we went through that, and, and, and we worked hard, and we were successful. But I was in a family business, and if any, any of you have ever been in a family business, sometimes uh, you get into situations where you can't continue on together, and, and we split. And I moved, up to, I moved back to the Catskill Mountains uh, with my wife, Betsy. And so what had happened was is that I opened up my own meat market in, in a town called Kingston, New York. Kingston, right? Right up in Kingston. And uh, we were working a lot of hours and not making a lot of money. And I really actually got into this point where my identity was so tied into my job and my work that I, I truly did become what they call a workaholic. And I, there was a fella here a couple weeks ago. Remember he was talking about being able to sharpen this, like I call it sharpening the saw, but taking time away from your work. And he was talking about often how we just get so involved and so wrapped up. And I was, it kind of hurt me to hear that because that was so part of my life. And, and you know what a workaholic does when they're not making enough money or, or their life is not going right? They work more, or you buy another business. It's like the, the dumbest thing in the world, but you just think you can just work your way out of it. And so what had happened was, I then bought a wholesale meat business, and I went to a place called Hunts Point early in the morning. If anybody's ever been to Hunts Point, that's not the garden spot of, of the world. And I used to deliver meat, and then I had a wholesale business and a retail business, and I was working about 100 hours a week, not really making a lot of money. And I knew I couldn't go on with that. And uh, you know what? I said, some guy came to me with a network marketing business, and he said, I, you can make a lot of money with this and get out of this mess that you're in. I said, I'm going to do it. If I, can, if, I can, I'll, if I can make money, I'm going to do it. So I got involved in the Amway business. And I actually love that business too. I know somebody, a lot, of different, a lot of different opinions on that, but anyway. So there's a reason why I'm telling you that. So anyway, I was doing all three of these things, working about 100 hours a week. And so one day I come home from work and my wife says, hey, I got to talk to you. We have two children. They're young kids. I gotta, we got to talk. I go, what's up? She goes, this is not working. She said, did you know I'm, I'm a single mom? 
And, and you got to change the way you're doing business. Otherwise, we can't stay like this. And she, did, I, she didn't threaten divorce. It was, I, we, but it was like very, I have one of these wives, and she's very difficult for her to have to say that. You know what my first reaction was? How could you say that? How could you say that? I'm here trying to put bread on our table. Like this total, I felt totally betrayed. And I just was angry. And she's telling me the truth and showing, holding the mirror up to me. But yet, I was so upset. And so anyway, now there's a reason why I told you about the network marketing business. We, we go on these functions, on weekend functions. And on Sundays, they had, um, they had these um, Sunday worship services that were very different than the worship services that I, were used, that I was used to. So I, I grew up Roman Catholic. My wife was a Protestant, Reformed, Reformed Church of America Protestant. And uh, these other uh, services were very similar to uh, evangelical you know, evangelical services. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in the front row, in, maybe it was in Virginia, so nobody, the guy didn't know me who was preaching that day. Sitting in the front row, and he goes, why do you place unfair expectations on your wife? expectations that no one could ever meet. And you judge her by those expectations. And then he goes, turn that around. He goes, why do you judge yourself, yourself on your intentions? In other words, their intentions that you have in your mind but you never even try to complete them. And you were always giving yourself a break. He said, you need to place your expectations not on your spouse, but at the cross, at the foot of the cross, and come to Christ and receive him and understand what it is that he's giving you to deal with this life. I'll tell you what, that's the day Nick Rama realized he was a sinner in need of God's grace. Amen. It was like, I don't know how to say it. I mean, I, I just pray that everybody here understands that. That we are sinners in, needs, in need of God's grace. And we can't get there by being a workaholic. God's already dispensed his love in this world. I, I went home to my wife. I'll never forget it. I went home that weekend and I said, honey, I'm a changed man. You, I'm just telling you. I want you to understand this. And she's like looking at me like, yeah, you said this before. I'll tell you what, it, it, didn't, it didn't happen overnight, but it, it began to happen. It began to happen. So within that context, 
began to understand I was a, uh, an elder in our church, vice president of the consistory. They call it consistory, which is like a board. And it, I'm kind of putting this all together, making it a big scrambled egg here. But uh, within that context, we were having uh, issues with our pastors at the church. We had a husband and wife team there. And... Uh, yeah, we live up in the country, and this, 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 this couple of folks, they were very nice people, but they, they, it wasn't jiving. I don't know if anybody's ever been in a church situation where there was conflict going on. We, you know, there's, because there's groups that say, oh, we don't like these, this guy's not us. Or, you know, there's something happening, it's conflict. And we're part of the church board. And I'll never forget, I was part of a group of people who then would have discussion outside of the board about how we were going to get rid of these people. And then something happened. And I don't, I, I don't know how to say it other than just trying to tell you all that, you know, we read these scriptures about the unity of the church and the unity of the church, and how important it is to be together, together. And God worked in his way where it just broke me down, and all of a sudden, one day, I began to realize, good Lord, I'm attacking people who are Christians. And it, we had this board meeting, and I had to stand up in the meeting, and I just said, I am so sorry, you don't know this is going on but I am attacking you behind your back. And so now as we take a look at as, as brothers here today and brothers at home, I, I think to myself, <clears throat> we are, a f you know, there's a creed, the Apostles' Creed, they call it the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. That's Catholic with a, a small c, which means universal church. We are part of a universal church. And so interestingly enough, we come together and we are in worship now. And we are part of this larger apostolic church. And God is calling us to work together. And so, uh, you know, life goes on. And in 2005... I thought God has been calling me into ministry. And I didn't know what. I, be, I knew I wanted to start pursuing a degree. and uh, So I was like, maybe I'll go into sports chaplaincy. I wonder who the chaplain is of the Yankees. So I go online, and I see it's this guy by the name of George McGovern. As you... Many of you know George. I, go, I, I pick up, I find his number, I pick up the phone and I cold call him. I go, hey, I'm thinking about going into sports chaplaincy. Is there anything you can tell me about it? He goes, why don't I meet you at the Palisades Mall food court? I didn't know the guy. It's the craziest thing. And as time goes on, you begin to meet some people who are very special. He's one of them. 
He's, he's the real deal. If you don't know George, he's the real deal. And um, yeah, I just, just, you know, as God's providential plan, as I began to come here, George is part of this group. I don't know if he's George, a, a charter member of this group. He's a charter member of this group. Very special guy. So anyway, where, where was I? So the, the, the point is now is that, you know, all of a sudden God's got this plan. I, I look back and he has this plan for me. Um, and I actually went out of business and I started actually teaching young men and women how to cut meat at a, a culinary college in Hyde Park uh, called the Culinary Institute of America. And I was there for 18 years. A long time and I was teaching these kids but something happens sometimes in life where it's like you gotta you gotta get out of your profession and I knew it was time for me to get out of teaching and somebody said to me hey you'd be good in development I had no idea what that was I really had no does it if I were to say to you you'd be good in development would you know what that means would anybody here know that? Seriously, would anybody know what that means? You really would? That's crazy. I, I had no idea what that was. I didn't even know that there was a fundraising arm to the college. So I, he goes, I interviewed for this job. The guy said, okay, you can take it. And I got in, that's how I got in the development business. I mean, nobody would do that, right? Nobody would take a job. They had no idea what they were doing. They just knew that I just needed to get out of what I was doing. So I began to learn about fundraising and uh, work for colleges. And now um, I work for this place called Hoving Home. And it's um, an amazing place. And so now I... I want to talk a little bit, not about Hoving Hall. I'll give you an idea about it, but I just, I want to encourage all of you to know that there are, whether it is your place, your church, your place that you worship, or some other place, I want to encourage all of you that God's work is being done in para-ministries, in ministries, and without the support Christian people, they do not exist. And that, that the challenges of this world, the challenges of our country, are not going to be solved politically, but they're going to be solved with the spiritual salvation of Christ. And if we, if we cannot be the light and the salt of this world, let me put it to you this way. We are the salt and the light of this world. And we have a calling to spread the gospel and to share God's love. Because you know what? If we ain't doing it, ain't nobody doing it. Everybody's got an agenda. But in, in the world of Christ, you know what the agenda is? Peace and love, because God is love. And he loved us before we knew what love was. So, Hoving, what is Hoving Home? I, so, one day, my daughter, during the pandemic, my daughter says, Dad, I think you should take a look at this job 
called Hoving Home, and I was familiar with it. Rich, was, we, we, Rich has a family history, actually, involved with Hoving Home. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give him my resume. And we went down. I had the interview. I got hired. And so it's this place for women. Um, it started in Garrison, New York, and, and women who are battling addiction. Well, um, I don't know if anybody's spoken about addiction here uh, recently. I, I, I might have, somebody might have talked about it. But you know what? Addiction affects every family. Addiction of some sort, right? Whether it's alcoholism or whether it's opioids or whether it's heroin. I, we used to think heroin was a big deal when I was a kid. You know a lot of people are addicted to heroin. And um, so Hoving Home is this place that is grounded in God, and we take women. We are, there's no government funding. It is all funded by the gifts of people. And it's this place where it embraces women with love. There are other places, like the Teen Challenge, um, that works really well in other places. But what I have learned is that God's love is delivering. His spirit delivers people from bondage. And his spirit transforms lives. First, the first group meeting where I, I'm the only guy that works here. I mean, everybody's, you know, and it's kind of, it's a little bit different because, you know, you can't, I don't know, it's, it's different being the only guy in a, oh, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it is. It's all fine, but it's just different. And um, the first time um, I met some of the women, we were at a Christmas event, and I sat next to this girl named, woman, named Kim, <clears throat> and Kim was from our Las Vegas home. We have a home in Las Vegas. You know where Kim was? They found Kim uh, tied up and bound in the desert of Las Vegas. You know, kind of like a pencil, a toothpick of a, of a, of a person. And by God's grace, she got to Hoving Home. Kim told me her story. She grew up in, in um, Colorado or Montana. She grew up in this place and it was nicknamed Meth Mountain, where they used to have these meth labs and they used in like towns, whole countrysides were addicted to crystal meth. And she got into Vegas and she was prostituting herself and addicted to numerous different things. And somehow she got human trafficked and, you know, left for dead in the desert. And so she gets to our place and, and over a year God works his love in her, pours into her. And so now a woman who is left for dead is now memorizing books of scripture and helping other women understand who's, what God is and who God is and changing the world one person at a time. So I pastor a little church, a little reformed church in Kingston, New York. On a good day, 25 people. 
All right, I know a lot of you probably belong to very large churches, but hey, when we get 25, we're like, hallelujah and praise the Lord. We lo over the pandemic, we lost three people in our church to overdose. <clears throat> three people, that's over 10%. We, you can't hide it anymore, gang. You can't hide it anymore. And so where does that lead me now? So I'm going to finish up with this. Is that I, I believe that God <clears throat> is speaking to us every single day and, and asking us to spread his love and gospel in numerous different ways. One of them is giving. And what opportunities possibly have we kind of overlooked? Because we just quickly glance at it and say, nah, that ain't for me. Or, eh. or what email have I... Because I know in this room here, there are other men here that are leading ministries that are doing God's work. And it's a hard it's a hard thing to ask for money. And I'm not asking for money, but I'm, what I'm saying is, is that I, I think we all need to be more sensitive to the fact that to spread the gospel, we have to be willing to be used by God's Spirit. And I just want to encourage us all to do that. I, I, some of you might listen to Alistair Begg on the radio. I love the guy. I love, he's a Scottish pastor. He, I just love listening to him. And he talks about, he, talk, he, he, mentioned, he mentioned three things. Grace, God's grace, gratitude. Your gratitude and understanding God's grace for your life, my life, and three, giving. What am I, I going to give to demonstrate my gratitude? for God's grace in my life. So I, I just want to leave us with that, with words from that pastor, Alistair Begg. Grace, gratitude, and giving. Are there ways that maybe, and the conversation can be, maybe there are way, things that we might have overlooked, or maybe things that have been kind of like pestering us, that we have kind of like said, nah, that can't be. And so I, I invite, invite you all to have that discussion today. Thank you for allowing me to share.